This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the Historical Society of the New York Courts, which was created in 2002 by then-State Chief Judge Judith Kay to preserve, protect, and promote the legal history of New York. To discuss the group's founding and its work today, we're joined by retired Associate Judge of the New York State Court of Appeals, Albert Rosenblatt, who was a co-founder of the Society and is its President Emeritus. Welcome to the show, Judge Rosenblatt. Thank you. Well, let's start our conversation by rewinding back in history. What prompted the creation of the Historical Society of the New York courts more than two decades ago now? Uh, The chief judge and I were having breakfast one morning, and we recognized that the New York court system has an enormously rich history, but there's nothing really written down about the court history itself. It's fragmentary, and one could stitch it together by finding various documents and accessing various internet points, but there was no coherent body of uh, or organizational vehicle for the New York court system. And that was when it, the idea hatched and as chief judge, she made it happen. Well, then over the ensuing 20 years, what has the historical society done to realize that founding mission? I mean, you have a website that has some documentation, but what do you view as the important work that's been done to preserve and protect and promote the legal history of New York? I would say that anyone who's interested in this, and I hope that any student of New York law and the New York court system and the judiciary and its uh, legal system uh, would be interested in, would go to the website And then the website is broken down into many, many avenues, uh, some involving the history of the judges, others others involving history of cases, others involving uh, publications that we put out, and others involving programs that we put out, uh, and county histories that we put out. So a tour through the website would probably be the best guide and the most illuminating And that website is history.nycourts.gov. The projects that you can find there include uh, an oral history, there's courthouse exhibits, there's uh, educational tools. What really stands out to you as you think particularly meaningful or things that you are particularly proud of that uh, the society has done to try to document this history? Yeah, good, good question, David. Uh, the oral histories that you mentioned are particularly dear to my heart because the idea was to capture the words of people who were close to us who made a real impression uh, in the court system. And we were able to get them at the peak of their careers uh, while they were still good before and before they passed on, because now we have memories of them, but these memories are recorded. So there's a host of people who were uh, instrumental in the court system. And we were able to identify them and record them, interview them. And uh, the list of them is on the website. And you'll see some really interesting people and and some interesting uh, recordings. So that's the oral history. Um, I was particularly proud of the courthouse history. Uh, My wife and I indeed wrote a book on it, which is now pretty well online, that shows of the 62 counties, every county has its own courthouse. And in each county, the current courthouse is merely the latest in a group of courthouses that existed over the years, some going back to the uh, you know revolutionary time, the one in Fulton County 
and Gloversville is the oldest and one of the oldest in New York. So we put up uh, pictures and postcards of all the county history, the historic courthouses in every county uh, in New York. And that's a tour, a survey that uh, anyone can find by uh, simply going online and, and clicking, following the prompts. So why is this worth doing and, and keeping alive? Why is this something that you've dedicated so much of your life to at this point? Yeah, you know, David, it's not for everyone. There are people that have absolutely no no interest at all in history. Uh, to many people, the only thing that counts is today and tomorrow. Yesterday is unimportant. But I find yesterday fascinating. Uh, the way things were done years ago, uh, I think maybe it began when I was sitting in the New York Court of Appeals as a judge, and I would look around the courtroom and see paintings of some people who are long gone and thought, you know, these were pretty good people. Let's find out about them. Let's see if we could, you know, record their histories and learn a lot about them. And so as part of that, we also created a website where, whereby we have the pictures and the biographies of all of the past judges of the state's high court. So if anyone is looking up a case that was decided in 1900 or 1860 or 1930, they could find the judge, a picture of the judge, and a biography of the judge that gives a full account. To me, that's fascinating because uh, I'm one of the people who care. Um, obviously, you do. And let's hope others do as well. Well, again, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with retired associate judge of the New York State Court of Appeals, Albert Rosenblatt, who is a co-founder of the Historical Society of the New York Courts and is a president emeritus for the group. So I'm sure there are plenty of achievements and positive figures that the Historical Society highlights, but what do you see as the society's role in preserving or highlighting rulings that might have fallen out of fashion and time, or maybe judges who haven't lived up to the best uh, you would hope for from people on the bench? Yeah, you know, it's funny about judges uh, living up to, sometimes it takes history to assess a public figure, or even it just goes through in everything. Uh, for example, Bach may be one of the greatest musicians the world has ever known, along with Beethoven and Mozart. Mozart was known from the start, Beethoven uh, as well. Bach was not really until he was rediscovered by Mendelssohn. So over the course of history, uh, people rediscover things and one's greatness or not, as the case may be, is sometimes assessed by history years and years later. Uh, as to some, there are no doubt, uh, John Jay was New York's first chief judge. Uh, his greatness has endured. Uh, the Jay Treaty, New York's uh, governor during a critical time, he, as governor, put into motion the abolition of slavery starting in 1799. He was the first chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. His greatness is established. Justice Benjamin Cardozo's rulings and greatness is established. Chief Judge Judith Kaye, a lot of other judges who in time will reach those levels one, one imagines. Sometimes it takes history to do that. Well, you're talking about people and rulings that have, like, fine wines potentially 
gotten better with age, but I'm thinking about, say, a conversation we had recently with Assemblymember Fred Thiel about a, a ruling from the state courts on the Montaukett Nation's recognition by New York State, a ruling uh, that 100 plus years later is looked at as this really racist uh, interpretation and view of Native Americans. And so I'm curious then what you think about the society's role in highlighting those areas where, you know, the courts might have gotten things wrong in retrospect. You know, that's a good point. It's not our job to, uh, you know, to cover everything over and to beautify and to prettify everything. History should be truthful uh, and revealing and not just covered over to make it to make everybody look good. We've put on programs revealing uh, some of the most dire uh, most reprehensible decisions in the United States of all time. Uh, Dred Scott was, we had a program about Dred Scott and how the uh, country's high court proclaimed that African-Americans could never be citizens of anything and went on to describe that that African-Americans, Blacks have no rights that white people need observe. Uh, the Prig case is another one that uh, in which personal liberty law was undone by the United States Supreme Court uh, that uh, allowed uh, Southerners to simply grab slaves without any due process at all and bring them south. So uh, some of this was covered in a book that I wrote that's been covered by the Historical Society, The Lemon Case. And in The Lemon Case, I went into Dred Scott, Prig against Pennsylvania, and indeed a case decided by the New York courts, The Lemon Case, uh, decided initially by Judge Elijah Payne in 1852, in which he liberated eight slaves merely because they set foot in the free state of New York. So we have a mixed history. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad. We feel very good about the Lochner case, for example, because in Lochner, that was the uh, one of the first indications that courts are concerned with public health. And in Lochner, we upheld a statute that uh, criminalized overworking uh, bakers, uh, that bakers should not be able to work, uh, even though they may have voluntarily done it, 16 hours a day so that they get sick and uh, uh, contaminate the food so it goes down the food chain and, and, and harms the public. So Lochner was another such case. The uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire was another case decided uh, another event that happened in New York that was a horrendous fire that led to the uh, strengthening and creation of uh, fire codes. And without that event, maybe we don't know that we've had fire codes with the same vigor. So this is all part of a history, not only in abstract law, but that affects people's lives. Do you think any court rulings from the Court of Appeals in recent years are going to stand out as big deal rulings, say, 50, 100 years from now? I would say New York's role in extolling the state constitution in preference to the federal constitution is going to be looked back on as one of the great watershed moments in judicial jurisprudential history, because not enough people realize or appreciate that there are rights 
in the state constitution that do not exist in the United States Constitution. And even where the rights are parallel, the state courts are able to accord the state constitutional language, even though it's identical to the federal constitution, greater liberties than does the federal constitution or the federal courts. And I think the, uh, the, the, the advances that the Court of Appeals had made in that realm, I think is probably going to be recognized as uh, an extremely important moment. And it's happening today. Today, I think over the next 10 or 20 years, we're going to be seeing more of that very phenomenon. Well, finally, uh, this is unrelated to the historical society, so I hope you'll indulge me. But in your life, you had reason to encounter uh, G. Gordon Liddy, including beating him out to be the Dutchess County District Attorney. And I'm interested in this because Liddy was portrayed on a TV show this year, The White House Plumbers, which actually filmed partially in the Albany area. And the portrayal has him like this wacky cartoon character uh, as acted out by Justin Thoreau. Was he an eccentric character when you knew him? Was he somebody who were like, wow, this is a real odd guy? Um, he was not your ordinary guy by any means. Uh, I, I don't think you could just write him off as a kook, period. You know, there was a lot of facets to Gordon Liddy. He, uh, the, he sure produced his share of drama, but uh, he had other virtues. He was dogged and persistent. Uh, he had a, a sincere, highly conservative philosophy. It wasn't phony. It was real. But I think he was not your ordinary assistant district attorney, because he lacked maybe the reserve that you want to see in most assistant district attorney. It was overshadowed historically and otherwise by, by drama uh, and, and excitement. So when he found his way to Watergate, uh, that was after uh, I eventually prevailed. Yeah. Nominated for district attorney of Dutchess County, but he went on to other things. So, (laughs) Do you ever think about how different his life would have been if he had been the Republican nominee? And uh, he, you know, yeah, it, he went on to other things. He became a lot more famous than than me. But I, I would not particularly uh, seek that kind of fame. Uh, but he, uh, he was fine with it. Uh, I think he, I think he, he went to his reward, uh, feeling that he lived his life as he should. Uh, and we were not enemies, believe it or not. Uh, we were always civil to one another. And when he challenged me, I was the chief. He challenged me and he said, Al, you know, move over. Uh, It's not written down anywhere that you've got to be the DA. Uh, I'm making a challenge. And that's the way it was. And it was, uh, you know, fair and square. It went before the committee. And uh, uh, happily for me, anyway, in my own life, they chose me. And I am always grateful for that. Uh, And Liddy went on to to uh, to live his life. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been talking with retired associate judge of the New York State Court of Appeals, Albert Rosenblatt, who is a co-founder of the Historical Society of the New York Courts, which you can find at history.nycourts.gov. Judge Rosenblatt, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, David. You have a great radio voice. I hope people are listening to it and will enjoy your dulcet tones. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.